Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So our subject today is trust in God. Now we could have a lecture about it, but I thought it would be more interesting to actually look at the source and follow the, the ins and outs as the idea is developed by the Rebbe from the sources. So if you're not comfortable reading from the, uh, from the booklet that I gave out, just listen, otherwise follow along. The Torah tells a story about Moshe Rabbeinu. He uh, was taken in by the house of Pharaoh. He grew up there and then tells us the following story. Moshe, Moses grew up and he went out to see his brothers, the Jewish people. He saw a, an Egyptian person striking a Jew. So he struck, really means killed the Egyptian. And he buried him. And then, he went out on the next day. He saw Jewish Jewish people fighting. And he said, why do you, why, evil man, why do you hit your friend? So the person responded, do you think you're going to kill, kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Um, so Moshe became afraid. He became frightened. And he said, It's known. I didn't realize that people knew what I did. It's now known what I have done. Eventually it made its way back to, the, to Pharaoh himself that Moses had killed an Egyptian. He wanted to kill Moshe. Moshe had to run away. He ran to Midian. And the story unfolds there. He met his wife and so on. So Rashi comments on the words, and Moshe was afraid. And he says, Kipshutai, it means literally he was afraid. Now they know that he killed someone. What's going to be the end? However, the Medris says, He was worried. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid about himself. He was afraid, he was worried that now he sees that the Jewish people, they can fight with each other. If we have that kind of people amongst us, so then maybe they don't deserve to be redeemed. That was his worry. If he sees people like that, maybe we'll, we're never going to get out of Egypt because of this. So, we know that the Rebbe has a very particular way of studying Rashi. Everything that Rashi says needs to be studied closely. Because every word is measured, every thought is well thought out, and so on. So, we, he partic- we, we need to look closely at this Rashi. My time Generally speaking, whenever there is a simple explanation to the verse... We stick with the simple explanation, especially Rashi. Rashi says that my job is to explain the simple meaning of the verse. Rashi is not the Talmud. Rashi is not a Medrash. Rashi doesn't try to expound some esoteric idea from the verse. He's just trying to explain the simple meaning. Now, if Rashi himself says that there is a simple meaning, Moses was afraid. Why does he need to go any further than that? Why does he need to find an alternate explanation? What's wrong with the original explanation? Um, Why does he bring the explanation that is from the Medrash? And the Medrash usually is a more homiletic explanation, not the simple meaning of the verse. So why does he go to that? 
<clears throat> in fact, the explanation that Rashi gives from the Medrash, that he was worried that they don't deserve to be redeemed, nowhere in the verse do we find any allusion to that. There's nothing in the verse that would lead us in that direction. Um, I'll just say it outside without reading it inside because I see most people are not really uh, following inside anyway. Now that Rashi has interpreted the words and he was afraid, that what was he afraid of? He was afraid that the Jews don't deserve to be redeemed. Now he needs to give an alternate meaning to the next few words in the Torah, which say, aha, it has become known. So that in the simple meaning that he originally suggested, it has become known that I killed an Egyptian. That's the simple meaning. Now that he said, the reason that he was afraid was because maybe they don't deserve to, deserve to be redeemed. Now we need to reinterpret the words, it has become known. What has become known? So he explains, it has become known that which I wondered, why are the Jewish people being enslaved so bitterly? In other words, it has become known means, now I understand what's going on. I always wondered, why are the Jews being enslaved? Now I understand. They don't behave, they're being enslaved. But that is also a, a, a difficult explanation of those words. So why is Rashi going in that direction when he could just go into simple meaning of the verse? So perhaps we can explain it in this way. <clears throat> Rashi is trying to explain the following question. The Torah only gives us important information. Obviously the Torah doesn't tell us every detail about everyone's life, certainly not everyone's life, and even the stories that it does tell us, it only gives us the important details, otherwise the Torah would go on and on. So it just chooses very carefully which details it needs to be tell us. So the question is, why does the Torah tell us, <clears throat> in this story, why is it important for us to know that Moshe was afraid? What's important to the story would seem, it's trying to lead us to Midian, how did Moshe end up in Midian marrying his wife and so on? How did he get there? So it tells us he killed an Egyptian. Pharaoh found out. He had to run to Midian. He met his wife. Important details. Why is it important how Moses was feeling at the time? He was afraid. Who cares? What's the difference why he ran to Midian? He ran to Midian because he ran to Midian. He was afraid. Why does the Torah have to tell us those words? Sarashi so has that question. Should you ask, if only the important stuff is related, then why did the Torah tell us the whole exchange between Dosan and Avira, meaning the two Jews that were fighting with each other? Why is that important to the story? If what the Torah is trying to tell us is how did Moshe end up in Midian, why does he have to tell us about the two Jews that were fighting he just sort of said, he killed an Egyptian, Pharaoh found out, he ran to Midian. But that is not such a strong question because we're trying, to, how did Pharaoh find out about it? So the Torah tells us that it was because Dosan and Aviram, the two people that were fighting, the two Jews that were fighting, they informed on him. So therefore that detail might be more important to the story itself. It's germane to the story itself. But how Moses felt at the time doesn't seem to be important at all. It has nothing to do with the story.
So why? Rashi seeks to explain that point. Olachein, maybe Rashi, we turn the page. Olachein, maybe Rashi, Pirush HaMedrish. Therefore, Rashi explains a new, gives a new explanation about this. That the issue wasn't that Moses was afraid for himself. It was, he was afraid the Jews don't deserve to be redeemed. That already becomes an important detail in the story itself. This already talks to the story itself. It's not just about Moses' feeling. It's about what is going to happen here. What's going to be the end? Will, will God redeem the Jewish people? That becomes a more important detail in the story. And Rashi is bothered by why tell us about Moses being fearful. So it tells us he was fearful about an important detail, not just, you know, he was afraid. So that's why he explains it that way. However, even if we accept that explanation, but the simple meaning of the Torah always is primary. That's the rule. Even if you have a nice explanation and interpretation of the words of the Torah, which are give a, a nice uh, moral teaching or whatever it is, but we never move away from the simple meaning. The simple meaning is always primary. When the Torah speaks to us, we can never say, well, he really means something else. He may mean something else as well, but the simple meaning always is the, the message. The simple meaning is always the most important message. So therefore, in this case, the simple meaning is that Moses was afraid. So, uh, in fact, Rashi also chooses that as the first explanation of this verse. The very first explanation is that explanation. So, in other words, even Rashi accepts that this is the most important and this is the simple meaning of the verse and therefore starts with that. And only because he has a question on that explanation does he give an, another alternate explanation as well. But this is the main explanation. Yeah, so therefore, so what's, what's happening? What is the message here? So now the Rebbe brings it back to our Parsha, today's reading in the Torah. So first let's explain what the Medrash tells us about today's Parsha. In today's Parsha we have Yaakov is, running, is leaving Lavan's house. He's traveling to Israel. There is, he hears, he gets the message that Esau, whom he ran away from 22 years earlier, and because Esau was going to ki- wanted to kill him, so he's now coming to be. He's going to be face to face with Esau for the first time in 22 years. He has no idea what Esau has in mind. He hears that Esau has a whole army with him, and the confrontation is coming. You know, it's coming to a head. <clears throat> so the Torah tells us again: Vayira Yaakov Maod. Yaakov was very afraid. and he was very distressed over this. So that the Medrash tells us, Rabbi Pinchas B'Shem Ruven, quoting Rabbi Pinchas in the name of Rabbi Ruven, Shnei B'nei Adam Hivtichan Agadosh Baruch There were two people who got assurances from God Himself. God Himself comes and tells them, "You have nothing to worry about. I will take care of you." Who are they? Habechir Shabbos, the chosen of the patriarchs, which is Yaakov. And the Habakir Shabinavim and the chosen of the of the prophets, which is Moses. Um, 
what did God say to Jacob? As Jacob was leaving Israel in last week's parsha, God says to him, he had the dream, right? He had the dream with the ladder. God says, I will be with you. I will take care of everything that you need. You have nothing to worry about. If anybody got that kind of a direct assurance from God, they should be calm and tranquil and everything will be fine. Will be safe in this yara, but the, uh, the Medr says, no, he was afraid. The Pasuk tells us today, he was very afraid. Not just afraid, very afraid. Habakir should have been the same with Moses, the chosen of all the prophets. Hashem said to him, I will be with you. The same thing. God tells him, I will be with you. But in the end, he was afraid. And Hashem said to Moshe, do not be afraid of him. This was when Moshe was going to have a confrontation with Sichain, I believe it's with Sichain, Melech HaMairi, at the end of the sojourn in the desert where they were ready, ready to enter Israel. And Sichon and Og, they were two giant kings, very mighty kings, and they, the Jews have to now conduct a war with them. And Moses was worried about it, and Hashem said, eh, I'll be with you, you have nothing to worry about. But still, Moshe is worried. How do we know that he's worried? Because you don't say, don't be afraid of him, unless you know that he is afraid. So when God said to Moses, do not be afraid of him, I'll tira say. Why did God say, don't be afraid of him? Because he knew that he was afraid. Why is he afraid if God already told him, I will be with you? So the question is, the Medrash points out that two of our greatest leaders, God assured them that everything will be fine, and they were afraid. <clears throat> now, there is a dispute. Upligi Mepharshia Medrash, the commentaries on the Medrash have a dispute about what the Medrash is trying to tell us. When the Medrash tells us two of our greatest leaders were told not to be afraid and they were afraid anyway, what is the Medrash trying to tell us? Is he trying to criticize them and tell us do not be like Moses and Jacob? Don't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. Or is the Medrash telling us, you see, even they were afraid. Why were they afraid? So the, the Medrash tells us that the reason that Moses, that the Jacob was afraid was because when did God tell him, you have nothing to worry about? 22 years earlier, on his way to Lavan, to Haran. And even though only a week has passed since we read this, but 22 years have passed in the real story, and Jacob was worried, that was then, this is now. What changed? my behavior may have, I may have used up all my credits. Back then, God looked at my, my sheet and he said, good guy, did a lot of good things, I can give him this much protection. 22 years later, he's already giving me children and families and wealth and all that. He may, I may have used up all my credits. Now, I don't deserve any more of God's protection. That's why he was worried. So maybe... The Medrash, some of the commentaries say, this is what the Medrash is trying to tell us. A person should never be confident about and expect and think that they deserve God's protection. Even Jacob didn't think that he deserved God's protection. And who can compare to Jacob? So what about us? So there's a dispute 
<coughs> in the commentaries on the Medrash, what is the message of the Medrash? We should worry about our uh, protection from God, or look at that. They were told by God to be that they shouldn't be afraid, yet they were afraid. This is something that we need to learn from. Don't do the same. That's two opposite messages from the same story in the Medrash. Page 3. So we need to examine the opinion of these commentaries on the Medrash, or at least this one. <clears throat> one opinion is that the proper thing is not to be afraid. When you go forward in life, don't be afraid. Don't be worried about what the life brings. Nothing to worry about. God will protect you. We need to understand that because what is wrong? Why is it so wrong that a person should worry? Maybe I don't deserve God's protection. Maybe that's, a, that's correct. It seems like a reasonable thing to think about. To the contrary, even one might say that this is a great quality that a person should have. It's, there's a, a certain humility. I don't deserve everything. My behavior doesn't deserve God's protection in every single area in life. However, this question really is not about this particular thing, Moses, Jacob, and so on. Really what this leads us to is an examination of the very idea of betochen. Betochen means trust in God. We know we are told that a Jew should trust in God. So the question is, what exactly is this mitzvah to trust in God? Because the, the meaning of the word trust is not the same as emuna. Emuna means faith in God. What is the meaning of faith in God? And really, what is the difference between faith and trust? Faith in God means we know that God is able to do anything that he wants. So if a person finds himself in a pickle, and even if you don't see any way out, you can't think, you can't think of any way that you could ever get out of this. <clears throat> our, our, our faith in God is, he could find a way. There are ways. Uh, the, the Talmud says that even if a sharp, you know, it's a little graphic, the description, but... In those days, I guess this was more common than it is today. Even if there's a sharp sword on someone's neck, or as you would say, the guillotine is making its, you know, coming, rushing down, you shouldn't uh, give up hope. Who knows what could happen? God has a way to resolve even that situation, as is the famous joke, right? the three guys that are sentenced to death in the uh, French Revolution, and they put one guy down, they release the thing, it comes screeching down and then gets stuck at the last second, and they tell him, you got saved. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, you can go home. Second guy that put him down, that comes screeching down, again, does, stops in midair. They let him go. The third guy lays down, he's an engineer, He's looking up at the blade, and they're about to release. He says, I think I know what's wrong with this thing. <laughs> <clears throat> but that is what the Talmud says. 
that even if it's, uh, there's a sharp sword headed towards your neck, you shouldn't give up hope. In other words, emuna means God is able to deliver me from this. He can find a way. Betochen doesn't mean the same thing. Betochen means he will deliver me from this. That's very different from he can deliver me from this. So the question is, how do I know that he will deliver me from this just because he can? <clears throat> Inside. Pirus betochen enerak emuna b'yecheles Hashem la'ativai u'lechaltzai mitzara. The meaning of trust is not that a God can deliver me from this difficulty, but that he has trust in Hashem, that he will do so. That this, the, the mitzvah is, you should be certain and confident until you can be perfectly calm. A Jew should be perfectly calm even in the greatest difficulty that they find themselves. The Enadayaklalan does not worry at all. As is explained in the book called Khaivas The meaning of Batochan is the tranquility of the person who is practicing the trust. And that his heart trusts and depends in the one who assured him that he will do what is good and proper for me. In a way that he will, that I am completely confident that everything will turn out okay. This needs explanation. This is really the crux of this uh, discussion. Because what is the basis of this certainty? Why, how can I be so confident that it will turn out okay? Because even if we are assured that it's possible, <clears throat> because even if we have an actual promise from Hashem that things will be good, who has a promise like that? Moses and Jacob. They both got a promise. Yet, were they certain that it would turn out good? No, they were not certain because... Things could happen in the meantime. Maybe the, my sins caused me to lose that protection. So if Moses and Jacob are worried, how could we not be worried? Yes? However, there was no indication that there could be an escape clause, so to say. Excuse me? There was an no escape clause when the promise was made. It wasn't made with an escape clause. Right. Provided that, etc., Okay, yeah. The promise was made without conditions. Unconditionally, exactly. yeah. So, therefore, this doesn't explain that feeling. Well, even when they were told that without a condition, they still were worried. We who were not told anything specifically, I haven't gotten any direct assurances no, from God. Neither have you, I'm sure, but yeah, I am assuming. Yeah, huh? right. However, Yaakov, neither Yaakov, nor uh, Moshe yeah. were promised unconditionally. Or, or were promised or, unconditionally. Were, were yeah, promised. were promised unconditionally. Okay. In other words, there was no condition. Exactly. Okay. Since there was no condition, why would they presume that it was a condition? Yet they presumed. So, so therefore, the question is... Are, are they questioning 
the there was no there was no condition yet they presumed that there would have been a condition so are you thinking that they're questioning what god was saying they were questioning in other words it need, what we need what we need is a better understanding of what the meaning of betachen means what does it mean that we trust that god will do good on our behalf does it mean that we have absolutely no question that it will be good, things will turn out good? How could we, if that's the mitzvah of Betochen, how could we be so certain? Since even Moses and even Jacob, and not only did they practice the mitzvah of Betochen, at least as good as us, if not better, but in addition to that, they also had a direct promise from God that it would be good. And yet, they had reason to fear or at least they felt that they had reason to fear. They felt that they had reason to fear. So then, how could we be so certain that we have no reason to fear? That's the question. I want to give a, <clears throat> a little bit of a, sort of an interjection here. There are three things, really, that, are, that need to be brought into this discussion. One is... Emuna, which we mentioned already, which is God is able to do anything that he wants to, and even if we don't see the way out, he can figure out a way out for us. The other thing is, the next step is, Jewish people have this um, trust in Hashem in the following way. If something bad happens, which means since we know as a rule that that's a, a verse in Tanakh which means from God nothing evil comes so therefore and uh, other such statements like Teva it is in the nature of the good to do good and therefore there is, God would never do anything that is not good but certain painful things happen to us painful things happen all the time so we have a, a, a faith, we have faith in God. What does it mean that we have faith? We know that anything painful that happened to us was for the good. This is brought out in the Talmud stories. Uh, there was a, a certain sage in the time of the Mishnah who was called Reb Nochem Ish Gamzu. Rabbi Nochem, the man of Gamzu. Why? Because he constantly said gam zu, which means also this, litova is for the good. Whatever happened to him, any, any difficult situation that happened, this is also for the good. There was Rabbi Akiva, the story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was once traveling and when he traveled he would always take along, he had his donkey that he rode on and he had a rooster to wake him up in the morning and he had a candle with him to, to study Torah at night, you know. And uh, one night he came to a city, a town, and he looked for a place to stay. Nobody would invite him into the house. So he ended up sleeping outside the city, and you know, just alongside the road, which was already a difficult situation. In the middle of the night, he was, uh, the candle was lit. A wind came and blew out the candle. He could no longer study Torah. A little while later, a, uh, I don't know, a panther came and ate his, his rooster. A little bit later, a lion came and killed his uh, donkey. So he's left with nothing outside the city somewhere. But he said, this is also for the good. 
I don't know what words he said. He said anything that the whole mud, anything that God does, he does for the good. In the morning, he discovered that this night the town was overrun, overrun by marauders, and they killed everyone in the city. Had he been sleeping in the city, in the town, he would have been killed too. Had they noticed his candle burning in the distance, they would have come after him too. Had his donkey brayed or his rooster crowed, the same would have happened. So he saw that everything was, you know, whatever God does was for the good. At the time, it was difficult to, exp- to understand why that's for the good. But he had that faith in God, that everything that God does is for the good. So, <clears throat> that is not betochen either. That is not trust in God. That is faith in God, meaning to say, after the fact, it's already happened to me. The, uh, you know, I am not, I'm sleeping out on the road. My donkey is dead. My rooster is dead. My candle is out. I look back and I say, must be for the good. But is this what it means? To, is this what betochen means? Is this what trust in God means? That is not what trust in God means. If you look forward in life and you say, somebody, I don't know, you stand to lose money on a trade in some business deal and you look at it and you say, well, I may lose a million bucks tomorrow, but it must be for the good. That's not betochen. Betochen is, it's not going to happen. Everything will turn around. Everything will be fine tomorrow. I'll make money instead of lose money tomorrow. Only if I lost money yesterday do I say, it must be for the good. But, but if somebody were to have betochen, that, you know, whatever God does is for the good, that's simple faith. Faith is that God does everything for the good, and whatever happened, happened, is for the good. But when you look forward in life, it's always with the confidence that it will turn out the way I need it to turn out. Not that it'll happen in a painful way, but, you know, who knows God's ways? Who can know God's ways? And it's definitely for the good. So this is important to understand what, the, what that betochen that is spoken of, not just by the Rebbe, but he actually depends, he bases it all on what is written in the Chavis Olavavis. The Chavis Olavavis is a book of Musar, actually a Musar book. It isn't a Chabad book. It isn't a Hasidic thinking book. It's actually a whole different stream of thinking and everything that the Rebbe says in this particular Sikha is based on that. Over there it's clearly stated that Betochen means that everything will turn out good. So again the question becomes how is it that we can be so confident not to say that whatever God does is for the good that goes, that's only looking backwards. But when we look forward, we are certain that everything will turn out the way we need it to turn out. What, how do we have that confidence? Where do we have the right to have such confidence? Hmm? But do we have a right to have that confidence? Is it correct? Is it, is it just a false confidence? And we really don't know if what we're thinking is true? Or is it correct to say everything will be good? The question becomes even more difficult because things don't always turn out good. But maybe they turn out 
not good just the way they should be not good. Yes, that and does that happen. That certainly happens all the time. The question is, when I'm standing here, and I know that tonight, I'm hoping it'll be, there'll be a good dinner. <clears throat> but I don't know for sure. I have no idea what my wife is doing right now. So it might be leftovers. It's going to be leftovers, don't worry. <laughs> <clears throat> but it could be burnt leftovers. So the, so the question is, how do I know for sure that it's going to turn out the way I want it? I, I have no uh, way of knowing that. At the end, after I've eaten, I could say, whatever, it was good. It was for the best. It was for the best. I lost a few pounds. You know, I, I won't gain another few ounces. You know, that's, but all the time, things happen that we don't like. So how can we, when we are standing waiting for the next event to happen, how do we know it's going to be good? That's the question. What is the meaning of betachen? Do we have a right? Not do we have a right. Is it what the non-believing world says about the believers, which is, it's all baloney, it's all in your mind, it's all fake, it's all false, it doesn't mean anything. And then we come along and we say, no, I know that it's going to turn out good. And they say, well, you know, how many people have said that and it didn't turn out good? So it's foolish when you say something like that. But yet that's the mitzvah of betachen. So the question is, this is really what the Rebbe is asking. What is the meaning of betachen? Do we have the right to say that everything will turn out good and expect that it will? And the question becomes even more difficult because Moshe and Yaakov, they worried. Do we have a right to worry? I'm going to skip forward. <clears throat> We're going to hey, which is on page four. This can be understood based on the words of the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek was the third Rebbe of Chabad. This is something that the previous Rebbe related to us about the Tzemach Tzedek. That he answered to somebody that was pleading with him that there was a sick person and there was, the person was in a very, very dangerous situation. He came to the Rebbe and he said, pleaded with him, please give me a bracha that so-and-so should become well. What did the Rebbe say to him? Tracht gut, sein gut. Think positively, think that it'll be good, and it will be good. Now, that sounds like a nice, you know, soothing uh, comment. You know, keep your spirits up, keep your chin up, and so on. That's what it sounds like, but that is not what he meant. He w meant that literally. So it seems from his words, that because you think it will be good, that will bring the good results. Because he made it conditional. <clears throat> he didn't say to the person, it'll be good. He said, think that it'll be good, and it will be good. So he made it conditional on your thinking that it would be good. What does that mean? So maybe we can explain what he's saying in this way. I'm reading from inside because I wanted to develop the way the Rebbe develops it because the details are important. The obligation, the mitzvah of betochen that we were commanded is not simply a result. When a person has faith in God, 
if you have faith in God, that God can do everything, and that whatever God does is for the good, so the natural, you know, the natural, what springs from that is that you put your, that God is good, and he will do good. That's not what betachen is. It could be sort of a, a result of your deep, deep faith in God so that you think he'll do good for you. Because if that's all it was, why is betachen a separate mitzvah than amuna? There are two separate mitzvahs. There is amuna, faith in God, which includes in it, God can do everything, and whatever God does is for the good. That's the mitzvah of amuna. But we don't, it doesn't end there. There is another mitzvah which we are commanded, which is betochen, trust in God. If all trust in God means that since you know that God is good and he could do everything good and therefore he will do good, then why do you need another mitzvah of betochen? Then you've, you're already covered by amuna. So what is the mitzvah of betochen? There must be something more that is expected now. <coughs> So therefore we must say that the mitzvah of betochen has another, it's another service of God. It's another step in our trust in God. It's not the same as faith in God. And it demands something more from us. What is that? That a person should rely and depend on God until he, a person puts their entire fate in God's hands. If a person should live like that, whatever comes, I know God will take care of it. You know, I have nothing to worry about. God will take care of it. If you put everything in God's, you know, he, he, you depend on Him in that way. And as the Pasuk says in Tehillim, which we sing in the song that is coming up very soon, Pada um, V'Sholem. Everybody knows the song. Anybody know the song Pada V'Sholem? The one about Yutas Kisl when, when the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. The song that, uh, that we sing for that event. In, those, in that uh, chapter of Tehillim it says, Hashlech al Hashem Yehavcha, which means throw your fate on God. Don't think that you could, that anything that you do will make the big difference. God's interference, that's what makes the difference. Put your trust and put your dependence on God. <clears throat> that he has no, we have no other, no one else to depend on other than God. And perhaps this is why the Chaydas Olavavas that he quoted before says, that he, he tries to give an analogy. How should a person go through life? What should, you, what should be your relationship with God in regards to this, depending on God? And he says this, it's like a slave that is imprisoned in a, what they used to do in those days, when they had people to, to imprison, instead of uh, you know, building a, a cell, what they did is they dug a big pit down deep, deep into the ground, threw a person down in there. There's no way to get out. And that's what they did. That, that was normal. That was up till 200 years ago even, that's what they would do. They would just put a person, you know, build a pit, very little maintenance. You don't even have to have a guard there because there's no way to get out. And you stayed there until they threw down a ladder to get you out. 
What did they do? They threw down food every day. Every day they threw down a loaf of bread or whatever it is, and that was it. So he, uh, I feel myself like a slave that is imprisoned in the, uh, in the pit under the control of my master, and not, nothing can affect, no, nothing that anybody does can have any effect on my existence, only my master. Nobody can get down there to do good for me. Nobody can get down there to do bad for me. Only the master who controls how much food will go down, will I get out, will I not get out, everything is in the hands of the master. When a person is in that kind of an environment, they know very certainly that they are completely dependent on that person. We should feel the same way about God. We live in a world in which we think that, you know, we have a job, so the boss pays our salary. The doctor determines what treatment we will get and whether we will get better or whether we will maintain our health and with everything else as well. Everything else in our lives. We think that we have a lot to contribute in our well-being. We think that other people have somehow control of what will happen to our, what our destiny will be, but only because we don't think of ourselves in this way. The truth is that the only, per, the only one who has any say in what will happen in our life is God. With, with respect, aren't we, shouldn't we be active and participate in our own life? We absolutely should. Yes, good question, good question. If we trust that, if we feel that way, does that mean, is your question, <clears throat> does that mean that we could just sit back at home and you don't have to have a job, you don't have to go to a doctor, you don't have to do anything in order to maintain your health, you don't have to do anything to educate your kids, God will, does everything you know, for us. There is no contradiction between what we need to do and what God does. And the reason is this. In the end, we know that everything in our life, let's say our boss, is kigarzen biyada chaitzev, is the term that is used in our holy books. Imagine if, <clears throat> um, you called a carpenter to your house to fix your bookshelves. And he did a, you know, spent the day and he put it together and he fixed it up and it looks beautiful. So on the way out, you're going to thank him in addition to paying him. You're going to thank him for a job well done. At the same time, you will also, you know, he used a hammer in his work. You will thank the hammer. Thank you for doing such a good job on building my bookcase. I really appreciate it. And the tool, the, the, the drill and the saw and everything else in his toolbox. Nobody would thank the hammer. Why wouldn't you thank the hammer? Even though the hammer was even more instrumental in pounding the nails into the shelves than the carpenter himself. Because the hammer has no say in the matter. He couldn't do it or not do it. It's the carpenter who is in control of everything. We have a boss who signs our check. And we have a doctor that gives, you know, uh, writes a prescription and gives us a treatment. But they are like the hammer. In the end, it's just God that will determine whether we should have a big paycheck or a small paycheck. How he does it, <coughs> the carpenter uses a hammer. The hammer doesn't 
play a role in this, doesn't have a say whether it will or will not happen. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't thank your boss. You should thank your boss, but, because a boss has feelings too, but you should never allow your boss to dictate what is important in your life. So that if it ever comes down to, which it does sometimes, I need you to come in on Friday night, just this once because it's an emergency. I'm sorry. I don't know if you'll have a job the next day. Me and, and, uh, and Rabbi Yossi over here, we both share a grandfather. Uh, well, not, it's not my grandfather. It's my wife's grandfather and his, gra- his wife's grandfather who came to America in the 1920s and he was Shomer Shabbos, even though everybody else around him wasn't. And every Sunday, every Friday, he would say, I'm not going to be coming in tomorrow because it's Shabbos. And his boss would say, then don't come Sunday either. And he fired him, on the, he fired him right then. And Sunday he went to find a new job. And it lasted until that Friday. And then he got fired. And then he found another job. And this went on for months. For months. Until finally his brother-in-law took him in. <laughs> and then he was able to, to take off on Shabbos. But, uh, but he had that kind of commitment. What He knew that his God will take care of his parnasa. If the boss needs him to stay an hour later on Thursday, no problem. But if he needs him to stay an hour later on Friday, absolutely not. Because you are not in control of my destiny. So where it becomes important, you're never in control. Are we late? I guess we end on that note. The answer your question. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, uh, in, just to sum it up, the Rebbe concludes that it is in reward for a person putting their trust in God that God says, I will do it the way you want it. But it's all, it all is commensurate on how deeply is your trust in God. If a person is truly, truly, totally trusting, then whatever they want will happen. If they have a little doubt, then it compromises how certain they could be. Like the guy that said, his Rebbe told him, he said, I need money to marry off my daughter. He said, buy the lottery ticket. It was a million-dollar lottery t- thing. So he said, buy the lottery ticket. So he went and bought a lottery ticket. Somebody tells everybody, you know, the Rebbe said, lottery ticket, lottery ticket. So somebody said, well, how do you know you'll win? So the Rebbe said, I'll win. What's the question? So somebody said, you know what? This lottery ticket that you're holding is very valuable. I'll give you a half a million right now. Give me the lottery ticket. And he said, yes, okay. He says, this is a worthless lottery ticket because who gives something away for a half a million that tomorrow is going to be worth a million? So it means you don't really trust that. This is the kind of thing. So it's all dependent on how much trust we can bring to the table. A person that is absolutely 100% trusting in God will have everything that they want happen. A person that has only 90% of trust, but has a little bit of a doubt, it's that much, you know, they'll have 90%, and so on. But it all depends on if you think good, then it will be good. You have to put that effort of, I think it will be good, I trust that it will be good. Thank you very much for listening.